We're cruising down Hollywood Boulevard. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. Hello, Karen. Hello, listeners. Happy September. Crazy. I know. Rabbit, rabbit. Do you say it three times or twice? Um, Twice. Oh, I was taught to say it thrice. Yeah, I was taught twice. And you well, were taught well, I guess I'm technically covered. Yeah, you're definitely covered with the three times. Yeah. yeah. No, I always taught, I always was taught twice. I always forget until the end of the day where I'm like, oh, I didn't say rabbit, rabbit, so I'm doing well, it Well, right okay. Now. What is it? How is it supposed to work? Okay. The way I always learned it, always learned it the way I learned it. I don't always learn the same thing over and over again, although, um, anyway, um, <laughs> was the minute you wake up, you are supposed to say out loud, rabbit, rabbit, before you say anything else. You cannot, okay, so the that, fir- your first word speak, speaking uh, the first okay, day of the month. That's, that's basically how I, I learned it, too. The first thing you say on the first day of the month should be rabbit, rabbit. Or if you're me, rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. rabbit. But for me, it's that also means chances are I'm still awake past midnight. So I need to make sure I say it then before I go to oh, bed and before I wake see, up because I'm was, already in the day. No, because I always thought it was when, the de- when you wake up, your first wake up. Oh, Okay. That changes things because I'm usually talking about something else during the change to midnight, and inevitably it is never the first thing I say. No, I think but if it could be the first thing I say when I awake, that's different. I think it's the first thing when you wake up. Uh, That's what I think it is. It's your first wake up of the of the month. I will I will remember this on October first and see. I'm not really sure it matters. All my months end up bad, but. Actually, all the months bleed into each other these days, so. It's true. Tis true. Yeah. So, hey. Well, we're back. And, uh, guys, I got to tell you, you are largely going to be spared my voice because Karen has some talking to do today. Okay. Well, you guys know how tired I get, so I might not make any sense. Um, But, hey. So, um, like, I've been watching some TV. What have you been watching? Um, okay, so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with um, with Happen Leonard. Have you ever cool. seen that show? Yeah, it was on, it was uh, on Sundance. Sundance Channel, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. Saw some of it, like, I want to say five years ago was when it premiered. Uh, I've got 2016 to 2018. So three. So, so yeah, no, five years. It's been five years. You're right. Because we're in 2020 now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so four years. Four years. Four years. Oh my God, not so good at math. Sorry, okay. we're not a math website. It's all good. So, um, so, so, did you? What did you? Okay, I'm curious what you thought then, since you saw it, did, or you saw a few episodes. I saw a few episodes. I didn't watch it the whole way through, and I remember thinking, like, okay, this is fine, but wasn't essential viewing for me. It is my new favorite thing. Tell, well, tell me, tell our friends listening more. Okay. And so, tell them why. Apparently it's based on a book, which I do not know the book, but I'm going to go find it. Um, and it is about um, these two kind of unlikely best friends, Hap Collins and a Leonard Pine. Hap is played by James Purefoy, and uh, Leonard is played by Michael Kenneth Williams, the brilliant Michael Kenneth Williams, who is the fabulous Omar in The Wire. Yeah, better known as Omar Little for fans of The Wire. Omar's coming. Um, so, yeah. 
so I will watch anything with Michael Kenneth Williams forever. He is such a good actor. He is such a good actor. Yes. Um, Okay. So we're in like kind of the deep South of Texas and, um, and, and I'm getting, I haven't watched, I've only watched a few of the first season, um, a few, a few episodes of maybe four, four or five episodes. And I think there are only six episodes per season. So I'm almost done with the first season and they're telling the backstory of Happen Leonard's friendship, um, you know, that's sort of sprinkled throughout. So I don't quite have the full backstory, but from what I gather, the, they met as, as very young boys in this sort of like backwoods, you know, deep South Texas town, um, and became fast friends. And they are, of course, very different. Hap is white, um, Leonard's black. And, and they kind of have this sort of interesting dynamic because Hap turned out to be the peacenik. He, um, yeah. he dodged the draft. He, he was a conscientious right. objector and ended up going to prison for not going into, into you know, not going to Vietnam. Meanwhile, yep. Leonard went to Vietnam and fought the war and is like kind of like a bit of a hard ass where that comes, you know, where that comes in, in terms of like yeah. guns and ammo. He listens to like, like serious country music, you know, and, um, and he's a bit of a redneck like that, except that like really fascinating bit is like, he's also gay. So we have like this like man who is just a complete like enigma. He like, he's like not what you expect. Um, a sort of gay black man from the South to be. And yet here he is. And the relationship between these two men is just absolutely wonderful. Um, You know, they go on this sort of like grand adventure with a haps ex-wife who broke his heart. Um, Is that Christina Hendricks? Yes, it is Christina Hendricks. And And she basically says that, that, you know, it takes them on this like journey to find this money that's been sunk in, in a car um, that her current husband, who is like this weirdo hippie dude, um, heard about in prison. And so they enlist Happen Leonard to go find this money. And it turns into just a clusterfuck when they do find it of, of all sorts of dangerous things. This show is like, like watching David Lynch. Um, yeah. But it, but except that you have, except that I think what they've done with this show that Lynch was never really very good at doing is creating um, real relationships. Do you yeah. know? Like, do I you mean, know there's like, yeah, like, there's, I, there's like, like, there's an oddness, and uh, but all, that's similar to Lynch and the community that's established. But also, like, there's something very real and pure and believable and recognizable between these men. Yes, yeah. I mean, there, there's a humanity there that I think doesn't completely come through with Lynch's work because no, he is so focused on the weird. Angular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he is so he is so over the top with the weird, and he's very stylized, and you have elements of that in this, but not so much that it overrides the humanity and the relationship between these two men in particular. And yeah. so I've just been having a ball watching it. Anthony is kind of, eh, it's all right. And I'm just like, nope, this is my new favorite thing. And I will sit here all night and watch the show because it is wonderful. Um, so I like am two thumbs up on this thing. Now, I, you know, it could go completely south in the third, uh, in the second season. I really hope it doesn't. Um, but the first season has been sort of like gangbusters uh, for me. If- 
if I'm not mistaken, um, each season is based on a different novel. That it's a literary series. I knew it was based on a book. Um, I wasn't sure that there was more than like that. It was like a series of books, which is really uh, yeah. Great. I think there are a few Happen Leonard novels, and that each kind of like True Blood. Each season was adapted from a different book in the series. I think that's true of this. I don't know that all of the books made it for Happen Leonard because I think Sundance canceled it at some yeah. point. Yeah. But um, that, rather than it being a creative evolutionary choice, but um, but I do think like season two is taken from another novel. Okay, that that makes sense. And presumably season three. I think there were three years. Yeah. So I, you know, so I've I've where I've left them in this uh, season one so far is Happen Leonard are in a really tricky spot and I don't know how they're going to get out. Okay. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I assume they will since there is a second season. But, um, but yeah, it's like, it's been really great to watch and I'm really bummed out that there are only three seasons. Yeah, those are some of the, one, the shows that I love the best and it's like, you soak them all up and then they're gone in an instant. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know if we said, but Hap is played by James Purefoy. Yes. Um, who was Mark Antony on Rome. Uh, he was on that Kevin Bacon show, The Following. He was like the Charles Manson-esque evil ringleader. Um, I know I he's on that show, Altered Carbon, but I didn't see much of it. I, you know, I don't think I've ever... Like, I know him as an actor. I know his name. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. Interesting. Well, Except you, I'm assuming... I mean, we've lavished praise on Michael Kenneth Williams, but I'm assuming you're enjoying him as Hap as well, right? Oh, yeah, he's a wonderful, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a really wonderful actor, really. I mean, all the yeah, actors are is. excellent, there's like, yeah. there, there's really not a bad actor in this series, um, you know, they're they're all phenomenal, but, you know, of course, Michael Kenneth Williams has my heart, but I am, it, pure, James Purefoy is absolutely fantastic as Hap, and the dynamic between the two actors is really terrific. Yeah, I, I agree, I do think that series didn't get its due. Yeah, I don't think it did either. Certainly did not get enough episodes. <laughs> no, no. Well, I hope you continue to adore it. I do, yeah. Oh, and I should say, it's set in the late 1980s, so that's kind of fun. Um, and, and I love the, the description as a darkly comic swamp noir, which I think it's like, yeah. Ooh, the swamp noir. The swamp noir, which I'm like, yeah, that is. It is a swamp noir. It's really wonderful, like, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. So, yeah. And what is that on Hulu? That is on Netflix. Oh, Netflix. Okay. So, you guys, yes, you can catch up with it on Netflix. Now, another show that you can catch up with on Netflix that has more um, episodes than Happen Leonard, more seasons, and is still running and getting more seasons, is uh, Queen of the South, which is... Okay, this is a little complicated. It is an adaptation of a Mexican telenovela that was adapted from a book. Is it who wrote the book and where is it set? Here in okay. America, in the States? It is set okay, so the book, hold on a second. Let me let me um let me dig this up because I just I actually closed out the Oh nope, I didn't. Here it is. Okay. So the book is by a Spanish writer named Arturo Perez Reverte. Okay. Um, and he is a Spanish from Spain. 
And the book takes place in Mexico and in Spain. I don't know where the telenovela is placed, if it's Mexico and Spain right. as well, but Queen, but um, Queen of the, the Queen of the South, which is on USA Networks, also, but like the older, the older episodes are on Netflix as well. Um, takes place in Texas, Motley, Texas, and Mexico. So instead of setting part, this, I guess I assume it's like the parts that would be set in Spain are actually set here in the United States in in Texas, right over the border. Um, so. I have the book. I started reading the book last year, last summer. Um, it was going to be my beach read because I didn't get it on my Kindle. I got it in physical. And I'll be damned if I can get through more than 10 pages a year. That book. Is that because of you or because of the book? It's because of the book. The book is, I find it slow and plodding. I've read, um, you know, I've been looking at the Goodreads reads reviews about it and sort of like kind of scratching my head. And I guess this was... Um, the author was trying to sort of do a spin on Count of Monte Cristo with this book. Um, so, so we've got like a couple of things going on here in the book that is not at all in the, in the TV series where you've got, um, it's all from this sort of like a third person narration. Okay. It's being told by a journalist who is telling the story of this woman, Teresa, Teresa Mendoza who is started out as a narco's girlfriend and moved her way up in the cartel in, in a cartel to become sort of like the head narco, right? Like the head of the cartel. And so the book itself is being told by a journalist who is trying to like tell her story. So he's going around and talk and doing interviews with people and gathering things. But then it's also sort of flashing back through the stories to like her life. And um, and her experience first as Narco's girlfriend and and what happens when her when her boyfriend gets murdered and how she ends up moving up through the ranks of this cartel. Um, And and so and he's so he's sort of like he's he's giving her he's giving her a voice, but it's all through like this sort of like very male gaze, if that makes sense. Um, And so he's. So she's never actually sort of speaking for or advocating for herself. So you actually never get to see, at least so far in the in the ten pages that I've gotten through so far, um, you know, you've never actually gotten to see what a strong and intelligent and fierce woman this is. And that is exactly what you're getting when you're when you watch the series. And so what they've done is you're basically given mostly Teresa's point of view. Um, you know, she's, and she sort of has to fight her way through um, the, you know, her husband, her husband, her boyfriend being murdered by the cartel. She's basically got a bag with like a million dollars in cash, a gun and some book that is like, she, like her boyfriend had said, you can't look at this book, but this book is very valuable. Cause it has basically all of his flight information. Cause he was a, he was a flyer. And he flew drugs for the cartel wherever they needed him to fly the drugs. And so there's a lot of information that he kept it written in this book. And so this book is very valuable and it's supposed to save her life. And so she basically goes on the run and she tries to find the, the, the cartel head who she thinks cares about her, but like really he wants her dead. But in the meantime, the cartel guy is actually running for governor of their little town 
in Mexico, their town in Mexico, and he's trying to like sort of like legitimatize himself, even though he's still going to run mm-hmm. the cartel. But now over in Texas, the cartel's um, the cartel head's wife, uh, Camilla, is actually sort of like setting up her own cartel in the United States and her own and doing her own drug deals, but without her husband's knowledge because he wants to control everything. And she is really just kind of like staking out on her own. So basically she is the, she is heading this cartel. Like she is like creating a cartel of her own, heading it up herself. Um, it's complicated. Yes, but it's really wonderful. It's amazing to sort of get a drug story um, and a cartel story and kind of a mafia story, but through the eyes of women. And these are yes. not women who are like side pieces. These are women who are actually moving the pieces on the chessboard, right. um, you know, including Teresa, who is working her way up and manipulating her way through the cartel to, you know, save her life, um, you know, and, and the lives of people that she cares about, that she's trying to keep alive and how she goes about doing that and how she double crosses and how she, you know, is very ingenious about getting out of scrapes. And, um, it's a, it's like, it's a really great series, um, that, that is based, I think on a really bad book. Um, ultimately, um, Alice Braga plays. Um, she's, I don't know if I know her from anywhere. Um, but I think she is a Brazilian actor. Uh, yeah, she is Brazilian. I know her probably first from the movie City of God, yeah. which was a really good movie from, like, 2002. Um, but I feel like I had seen her in other things. Like, uh, I think she was in that bad Predators movie that came out that was one of, like, the junkie Predator knockoff sequels. And maybe also... The Omega Man remake, I Am Legend. Okay. With Will Smith. All right. Not and someone then, that I think I've seen a lot. And then we've got Peter Godot. I don't know. G-A-D-I-O-T. I'm not sure how you say that. Um, he is uh, sort of like the second in command in Camilla Vargas's uh, uh, like small cartel that she's growing in um, in in Texas. And he is excellent uh, as sort of like the caretaker, not only protecting uh, Camilla, but also now he's sort of like the self-appointed caretaker of Teresa and sort of watching out for her and teaching her the ropes. And then you've got Veronica Falcon, Falcon um, who plays Camilla Vargas, and she is just wonderful and scary and don't cross her. And, um, you know, as this sort of like cartel woman and like her performance is just absolutely like chilling. She's fantastic. Um, and I think she's done mostly, it looks like mostly, um, Spanish, uh, looks like mostly, I think, I think, I think Mexican TV. Yeah. I don't recognize her. I don't think I've seen her in anything. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so the cast is really, is really fantastic. And, you know, if you, if you enjoy like the Mayans, um, this is, this is like, I think a really good, uh, series to pick up, um, and, and watch while the Mayans are not on, not on the air. It had that sort of like sense to it, except that again, like I said, it has these like really strong female characters, um, that you don't get in the, in the, in the book that I, I've not been able to find in the book. 
Uh, and it's like I said, the book is so plotting, and I really want to like the book, and I can't. I, I, I don't think this book it. is for you. I can't get through it. And I thought it would be like it was supposed to be like this action adventure thing, and I'm just like, wow, you have made this so boring, dude. Made this so boring. So, um, but with with Queen of the South, I think this might come with an unpopular opinion. Oh, oh, guys, this is our first unpopular opinion to be debuted on Hollywood Boulevard. So okay. hold on to your hats, Karen. What is your unpopular opinion? Okay, so this might be a little complicated. I'm not even sure that it is quite right, but here we go. Do you remember a couple of months ago that big kerfuffle about American Dirt, that novel that came out? Oh, by yes, James and we talked about it briefly, I think, when we talked about um, the book My Dark Vanessa. Yeah, and so it's basically a novel about um, a woman, a Mexican woman who escapes uh, drug cartel violence uh, with her son. She she goes over the border, I guess illegally crosses the border, and it was supposed to, I guess, reflect um, re- reflect the experience of people who who are you know fleeing their you know fleeing crime and violence in their countries to to come into the United States and their experiences about you know crossing over illegally and and all of that and um it was an Oprah book club pick I have not read it so I don't know but the book basically got savaged um yeah I'm uh, waiting for it to be ready at my library whenever I can uh, get to my library okay you're gonna you're gonna read it uh, at some point so basically, um, she was sort of raked through the coals for yeah. creating a novel that was completely unrealistic. I don't know. I've never, you know, I, it's not an experience that I've ever had. So I assume right. whatever she wrote wasn't, and it was not an experience that she had either. And so she basically was sort of like, you know, called out for for writing a book that was essentially, uh, what, what's it called, like, uh, da, 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 da. Trauma porn. Yeah, appropriating is sort of like trauma porn, and it was appropriating right. an, an experience that wasn't hers and all of that. Well, I have to wonder why Queen of the South, of course, apart from being published several years back, I assume, I'm not even sure what year, let me look up what year that was published, if I can see what year this was published. Uh, oh, 2002, first published, and then again in 2005 so it was before a good chunk of time before um before we were becoming more cognizant of of these things but i felt a little like why wasn't this author sort of brought to task for kind of appropriating similar things um he is spanish he is not mexican oh i Um, see okay he's european spanish um i don't think he's ever been part of a cartel or run drugs or, you know, had to mule or, um, you know, or cross the border back and forth legally or or illegally, I should say. So I I kind of felt like, well, you know, because these are things that Teresa has to do in the beginning of the series um, when she's fleeing for her life from the cartel, you know, she has to cross the border because she's going to be safer in the United States. She needs to look for Camilla Vargas because, like, Camilla's the only one that can help her because Camilla's husband is the one that's after Teresa. You know, so it's got all of these. So she ends up kind of muling for for 
for them for a while and has to swallow it. So it's just got all of these things going on that kind of, I don't know, I felt like, why wasn't he taken to task for this? And I guess it was because of the year that it was published so long ago. But I did have to wonder, like, are we going after female writers and not male writers and female creators and not male creators when we are, you know, bringing these issues to light? I think that's a two-part question, and I think I can offer two completely uninformed answers. Okay, great. Um, we love uninformed answers. I'll say, based on nothing, the first part is probably the timing. Okay. That if this book was published in 2019 or 2020 or next year, it would probably be looked at with a different lens. Um, also, it might be that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that both book and TV adaptation were under the radar enough that it wasn't enough to catch fire by those who hold the matches. And I ah. could be completely mistaken. Um, but it's probable that either way, like five years later, it would be received differently. Um, and secondly, uh, yes, no, I think no matter what, the professional work of women is evaluated differently than that of men. Because I was trying to think completely of, wrong. <laughs> I, I I've been trying. I was trying to think of other kerfuffles that have like, you know, that 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 have been, you know, other other works that have been called, you know, sort of like, you know, called has have been taken to task for for this situ, you know, for appropriation. And I was wondering, and I, 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 of course, now it escapes what they might have been, but my, but I feel like they were all female creators? Um, I cannot think of too many of those scandals. I feel like you were correct. They have been women. That you know, because when you look at, um, you know, artists, uh, music artists that that are sort of seem to always be the ones that get called out for cultural appropriation, it is always the female music artists um, who are getting called out for it. And not the and not the males. Yeah. It's like so. I do feel like there is a level there is a level of misogyny that goes on when when you do have within cancel culture because it feels like it's always the women who are you know being told that that they're appropriating and not the men. Yeah, and, I would really have to look around and do some research for other examples that that might offer a rebuttal. There just might not be that many. Yeah, I, I honestly I, don't know. I, I could not think of any, I could not think of any, any rebuttals. I mean, the, the closest I could come to, to like, well, maybe Eminem back forever ago, you know what I mean? Like there was this sort of like, well, but he's white response. If we're not talking but, about exclusively in literature and publishing, I could probably eventually think of some other examples you know across music across film what have you tv but i i you know i can't go there off the top of my head right now i don't yeah, i don't know I, but yeah, it does I, seem to be specifically if we're talking about you know representation and appropriation you know with authors you know i can only think of women off the top of my head yeah, and, and but even, and even like we're talking about like the Alison Roman thing with, you know, people who talk and write about food, 
not even just chefs, but those on like the outer hemisphere, I feel like it's been women there too. Oh yeah, what did Alison Roman do? Um, she was accused of taking like cultural dishes and and sort of selling them as as ones that she sort of had ownership of. I'm I'm probably glossing over some of the fine points in, okay. in the argument. Right, um, right. But but that that she was an exemplar of that. Of that, right, 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 right. So anyway, I was just kind of like wondering about that, looking at like, you know, the, some of the similarities in and the differences in the book. I mean, I guess one could say he did his research. He was a journalist. But, I, you know, I don't know. It just, I, you know, he, he but he was not he, he was not writing from the community. He was he was writing as a European white man. He was not writing it as, you know, somebody from Mexico or, you know, you know, or somebody who, who had experience or like he didn't, he didn't grow up in Mexico. Well, and that's like, part, of, Spain, that's you know? part of the complaints about, is it Janine Cummins, the American dirt author? Uh, no, the American, wait, no. Yeah, it is Janine. Sorry. Um, I didn't, uh, not Jeanette or Janine. I hope I it got is it right. Janine. It's but Janine. I think part yeah. of the complaints lobbed against her were that, not only didn't she know what she was writing of, but she really hadn't done the appropriate research and things were incorrect and inaccurate, right? Yeah, yeah. But I don't... Because I feel like, okay, maybe there is a case to be made that if this isn't the life you have known, but you have indoctrinated yourself into it and researched it enough that it has been vetted to the point of accuracy in this fictional world, okay, there's some validity to it. You have a skill, you were able to exercise it. What I'm getting with American Dirt was that that was not so. And I don't know anything about Queen of the South and its veracity, but... Yeah, I don't really either. I know that he was... All I know is that the author was a journalist, but again, I don't know how much journalism... Like, I don't know how much research actually went into, you know, making... You know, like, digging into the story. Like, is this really a thing a cartel would do? Is this, You know what I mean? Like, I, I have no... I have absolutely no idea how much how much he did and in particular. And I have to say, like, based on the way that he's written these female characters, I don't feel like much, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, he, you know, poor Teresa feels things in her womb when we're dealing with him. Like he, he is not writing very compelling, very interesting women. He's, um, he's kind of gross about it. Um, Wait, can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. Was this written in English or in Spanish? Oh, uh, I assume it was actually written in Spanish. So is it possible that some of that happens in translation? I, let me see who did the trans. Oh, I, you know what? It could be completely possible. I've been blaming poor. I mean, if we're we're getting granular about uh, a a sentence like felt it in her womb, maybe it's something that is more sensible or colloquial in the native language than in translation. Ah, that is perhaps a very good point that I didn't think about. So Andrew Hurley needs to be bitch slapped for that one then. Yeah, I mean that's not great. Right. But but there is still is this sort of I you know, definitely this sort of like removal. I mean, a, it, it doesn't that doesn't affect your larger argument. Yeah. Yeah, well I know well, it which does. Which is a, a question. Right, right. But so, I guess I, mean, it's a, I guess your opinion is popular with me because I think it's worth digging into. Yeah, so um, that's I the, think I'm if this sure. were a more mainstream thing or a thing that was published now, there would be different eyes on it. 
Yeah, I just yeah, I just, like I said, I'm not sure if it's an unpopular opinion because I but but I do I, maybe it's not necessarily unpopular opinion. This is but but a bit larger question. Are women being held to higher standards than men when it comes to these things? And and I'm sort of leaning on the side of yes. Yeah, I'm sight unseen leaning on the side of yes. I mean, I think I think it's safe to say no matter what the arena, women are evaluated differently, that the standards are not the same. Yeah, I feel like I, I just feel like we're so hated. Yeah, I don't like to say that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wish there was a gentler way to say, you know, like euphemistically, like, well, I think people look at men different than women, but but like that is what it comes down to. I like. I just feel like we're so loathed, and you I'm know, not. The I, don't, knives, I don't quite the understand are why. For women and what they do in ways that are not for men. I don't think that you know. I don't think that's rocket science to say at this point. We are loathed. Loathe. So yeah. So but anyway, regardless of the book, I don't recommend reading the book. It is dull, 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 and dry, dry, dry. But um, and Andrew Hurley talks about women's wombs, um, feeling it in the womb. But um, but yeah, I do recommend the USA Show because it is soapy. Um, it, it's soapy to a point. Um, but but again, like not. But but it's definitely more action driven, um, and I am definitely enjoying it. And the show is still going, right? Like it's not been yeah. canceled; it hasn't come to an end. And well, at some point, when shows can come back, this show will come back, right? Yeah, and I feel like it's actually like I feel like it's actually one of those slow burn shows where like it's not going to get like I think we're going it's it got pick, picked up for a fifth season, and I feel like now only like now people are starting to really like oh, pay okay. more attention to it. Um, so I, I kind of feel like it is one of those shows that, that is like a bit of a slow burn and took a little bit of time to catch on, um, kind of like, didn't Walking Dead do that? Like it took a couple of seasons before it really caught on. I know. I think Walking Dead was, uh, like phenomenon straight out of the gate, but I think Breaking Bad experienced that. Okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe I feel like maybe I got to Walking Dead. And you know what? Shit's Creek experienced that too, because they came to Netflix and then really found their audience. Yeah, and I feel like that's what happened with Queen of the South. Like, I feel yeah. like it, it. I feel like now that it's on Netflix, it's really sort of like picking up some steam. And and I would I wouldn't be surprised to see um, maybe like more people writing about it. Actually, maybe I should start pitching stories you about should, it. You should, or I'll, or I'll write with you. Pitch, yeah, and I'll watch. Okay. <laughs> because at least I'm like you know on top of it and watching it. Um, but yeah, really, really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So those were my, those were my recommendations this week. Those are, those are, I think, unique and good recommendations. Well, thank you. But that reminds me of a book I have read recently. It took me about a year to catch up to it, but I read The Dutch House by Ann Patchett, who wrote Bel Canto and State of Wonder, um, among other things. I don't know if you're familiar with any of them. And it was a Pulitzer finalist this past year. Oh, I don't read those. Yeah, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm straight up genre girl, but go ahead. <laughs> I had meant to um, read it earlier, but, um, you know, life happened. Um, but yeah, uh, Ann Patchett writes 
very sensitively and intuitively about people and and the way they discover things about both others and themselves. And this book is about a brother and sister. The sister is older by about 10 years. Uh, and they grow up in the, I guess they're born in the late 40s and 50s. Um, and they grew up, their mother has left them when they are very young. Uh, and they are living outside Philly. Um, and then their father, who is cold, somewhat withholding, marries this, like, wretched second wife. And and it's basically what happens to the kids after that as they continue through their adulthood and, and their lives. And it also follows them into New York, among other places. Um, it's just so sensitively written, but also with, like, such a sense of what makes for suspense, because I found it to be a real page-turner. I kept wanting to know what was going to happen next. And it's almost like every time there's a new development, you learn something about the next chapter of their life, you're like, duh, well, of course that's what was going to happen. That's always what had to happen. But it's always with such a sense of, of, I can't wait to see what happens next. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, Which is, I think, kind of a rare thing to do, to do the thing which keeps you guessing. And then also you're like, oh, yes, I, I would have known that to happen next. Um, so that's the Dutch House. Highly recommend. Okay. And Patches. And uh, oh, what you were gonna what, say? What else was? What else is Anna Patches? I know the name. I know the name. I think Bel Canto was her big novel. I okay. Think that may have also been a Pulitzer finalist. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, and that was adapted into a really bad movie with Julianne Moore a couple years ago. Not Julianne Moore's fault. Just not a great movie. Oh, uh, I think I'm I, sure what. I'm I sure think... whatever. Uh, Whatever essence was in the book was not found in the movie. I think I know her from The Magician's Assistant, which I haven't read. Oh, okay, I don't know that one. I kind of want to. Cool. And so that's, that's my book. It's nice to be able to occasionally now have time to read. Uh, uh, yeah, right? I'm it's hoping I can nice. keep doing that. I straightened out some of the books on my shelves, so now the unread ones are facing me, closest to me. Uh, so I hope that will inspire me a little bit. And like I said... They have reopened the libraries, so eventually I can go back and pick up some of the ones that have been on hold for almost six months. Wow. You don't do e-readers, huh? I do, but I find it much more difficult to read on uh, my iPad. Interesting. Because I would, like, like my my e-reader was, like, such a, like, so awesome to, like, have it during the pandemic when the library was closed. Because I could just be like, oh, my library is never closed because I was, on my it tablet. It was hit or miss for me. There were books that like drew me in and would be quote unquote page turners, but other books that uh, I like just couldn't get into. And I felt like if I had the tactile experience of reading a book that I was holding, it was still going to be easier to draw me in. So I sort oh, of interesting. 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 Yeah, for me, like, I can't read, um, I have a hard time reading nonfiction on my, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, electronically, but fiction, I'm, I'm fine doing that electronic. I think I'm the reverse. Really? Yeah. Perhaps it depends, like, on the specific subject matter, but I think nonfiction is easier to draw me in online, but you're on an e-reader. Interesting. See, I like to mark up the margins in nonfiction. Uh, 
which I know you can do in the e like you can highlight and you can make little notes and stuff like that. But I like yeah, notes, after a while, it's just I like notes in the margins. I don't want to like flip back and forth, like you know, between screens. Like I want to like like look at like a little arrow, and you know, I don't want to have to you know sort of flip into another screen. Anyway, that's just my my weird little thing. No, it's not so weird. Oh, <laughs> uh, very quickly, just something else I want to throw out is that I have started watching that HBO documentary series, The Vow, about the Nexium cult. So yes. I think I'm like two of six episodes in. I will, after I've watched everything, probably weigh in. I love cults. I find cults fascinating. I'm curious to see what this has to say. And I don't know a ton of the details about what Nexium did and how they got their people and kept their people and such. So uh, we shall see. Yes, I I love uh, I, I love a good cult story too. And um, uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm curious. I didn't actually know about this. It might be a reason to turn HBO back on. Um, well, are you doing? Are you like waiting to get to a point where you could do a trial run with it? No, we already did our tr- our trial, so we. So you would just again. have to pay for it again. Yeah, I'd have to pay for it yeah. again. So like we basically like we'll turn it on for succession, um, but obviously like there is no succession this year, so um, we won't be turning it on for succession. And I don't know, HBO is weird. Like sometimes like the shit will go to Amazon Prime, but not everything, and it takes a while. I guess it depends like how big of a hit. Right. I guess, yeah, it depends how well it does. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Well, yes, I I will use that as my yardstick if it's worth it for you to pay for HBO or not to see. So time, but not a ton of time will tell. I was listening to a podcast about um, Nexium, about a a woman who came out, um, who survived and sort of like came out the other side. This was a couple of years ago, so I don't know. Do you remember her name? Was it Sarah or Stacy or something maybe? Might have been Sarah. It might have been Sarah. Sarah, I think, is the name. Um, Because I think she is a part of this documentary, and I think she also has her own book. So it makes sense then that maybe she was the one that was doing the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have... It could have. I don't remember if she. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I know. I don't remember. But anyway, she. A friend of hers worked for uh, CBC, and he. He was the one that interviewed her, um, and and for this podcast that they ended up creating this Nexium podcast, and it was really fascinating. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I, I guess it was just one of those things where I just ended up sort of like ran out of, you know, wasn't able to listen to it ran out of time, but I, I like binge listened to, um, several episodes and it was very, very fascinating how, um, you know, what they were doing and how they did it. And, you know, it was, it was like, it was weird cause it was like just this side of illegal. I guess. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it was so like murky, like when she was telling it, I was like, well, that's weird and creepy, but I'm not sure that's illegal. Right. Which I guess I, that's yeah, like I the whole thing with cults. Point. Yeah. Right, where you're just kind of like, well, it's weird and creepy, but you right, know, like what they're doing might be wrong, but have they broken laws? Yeah, but have they really committed a crime? Like, you know, so I guess that's that's the struggle with um with cults, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting. Yeah, so uh, we'll revisit the 
the documentary series as well. Yeah, I look forward to getting your thoughts when you're, um, you know, sort of ready to tell. I expect to have some. <laughs> cool. So I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're great. You guys, we hope you're doing well. We wish you a happy Labor Day, and we wish you would give us five stars. <laughs> oh, my God, Labor Day is coming up. That's right. Whew. Yeah, five stars, kids, for the for the holiday weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Let that be the most labor you do. Yes. So um, if you're in the Nexium cult, let us know. Tell us what that experience was like. Um, if you've seen Queen of the South or Happen Leonard. Or have read Queen of the South. Yes, if you've gotten through Queen of the South. Like, cheer me on. Tell me it gets better. I want to keep going, but I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. Well, um, I don't know that you have to. Yeah, so much for a beach read, right? Oof. Right. Um, yeah, just, yeah, let us know what you think. And if you guys have an unpopular opinion that you'd like to throw our way for discussion, by all means, please do. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Um, so I'm going to go to bed. And I'm going to wait till October 1st to say rabbit, rabbit. Awesome. Um, so we'll see you guys next time. Yep. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.